Today on Sagittarian Matters, fun home, family, memoir, grief, guilt, what makes a good story, and more. With my guest, Allison Bechdel. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Los Angeles. Well, well, well. Last week at this time, I was quite concerned about the ocular health of producer Ponyo, also known as Ponzini Linguini. Um, she had an ulcer on her eye. It, surgery was looming near. I was feeling very concerned, but I'm happy to report that after a couple weeks of very intensive eye drops and internal holistic medicine, she is stable. She is back in the podcasting booth working the levels, and today we are bringing you an interview I did in August with Allison Bechdel. Um, Allison and I met up in Provincetown, Massachusetts to talk about family and memoir for the comics journalism website and magazine The Nib, but my piece in The Nib was only two pages long, and we spoke for over an hour, so there was a lot left on the cutting room floor, which I'm bringing to you today. With that said, I have the caveat slash apology that you will hear in this interview a little bit of chewing. You may hear some vacuuming in the background. You may hear a man's voice in the background in a different room. And I will say the words like and um more times than I am entirely comfortable with. Yes, listeners, you may not know that when I'm in casual conversation with friends, I speak even more like a valley girl than I do on Sagittarian Matters. Um, This was a sort of casual conversation. It wasn't meant for the podcast. It is truly a bonus that we get to use it for the podcast. And I just wanted to apologize for the number of likes and the familiarity that you will hear herein. Um, If you stick around to the very end, you can hear Allison talking about how social media and particularly things like Instagram differ from the experience of documenting your life as a memoirist. And I just want you to know Neither of us got attacked by a shark, though Allison was at a beach where a shark attack occurred the next day. (sighs) You can Google it if you don't believe me. Provincetown, shark attacks, August 2018. Anyway, please enjoy my talk with Allison Bechtel. Alison Bechdel is the author of the award-winning graphic memoirs Fun Home and Are You My Mother. She's the author of the long-running comic series Dykes to Watch Out For. She was a MacArthur Genius Award recipient in 2014, and she is currently hard at work on a book about exercise. You can find Allison at dykestowatchoutfor.com. You had two brothers? Yes. How was, what was your place there? Like in that situation? In the pecking order? Mm -hmm. Well, I was the oldest Mm -hmm. and the girl, so I was like kind of in charge of everyone. (laughs) Did the responsibility fall on you? Yes. Hmm. Um, Yeah, plus my my next youngest brother is developmentally disabled, so that sort of intensified everything. Like he really wasn't functional in the world in a big way so 
that made me feel even more responsible. Did you say that in the books? No, I never, I never discussed that in the books because here's the thing. Let's get right to it. The thing about family is I felt like it was ethically justifiable to write about my parents mm -hmm. because my parents brought me into this world. <laughs> I feel like that makes them my narrative turf. That uh, I was going to say that might not have been the case if they were hadn't been neglectful in certain ways, but if they hadn't been neglectful in the certain ways that they were, I wouldn't have become someone who needed to write about what was going on in my family. Yeah, you know. Why do you think you you've had so much like psychoanalysis and you've read so many theories and things? What do you think makes a person become that way? Well, because I'm that way. I think there's different versions of that person, but when a when a child is really attuned to other people, um, and it like that's just their natural. They have a natural aptitude for paying attention to other people and understanding what's going on around them. Like, not that's not true of every child, but when a kid has that capability and is also, it, it, it it's tempting then for the people around that child to take advantage of the of the child's perceptive ap aptitude to to use that to help them to gratify their own ego in some ways and also to not have to give a lot of energy to that kid because it seems like they're, they're doing fine taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and But why does that translate into... Well, for me, that the, the way that I, I felt like I had to kind of parent myself and part of that was by writing, like using this sort of superego... aspect of myself to raise myself mm -hmm. and writing about it was that's just the mechanics of how I did that it was when I try to parse it out I think about like was it that I didn't feel seen and so I needed to like reflect my own experience back because oh, no one you just else was put doing it, it. So much better than what. Thank you. Is that? Yeah, that's that's it. Sorry, I went on like that in that vague way. No, it's okay. <laughs> but I, I feel like yeah, like I didn't feel seen, so I had to reflect my own experience back. But also because my family was a little bit like you know, like now we have the word gaslighting. Because my family was like, oh no, it didn't happen that way. It was fine. It was like this. I feel like I needed like a red a record. Yeah. Of how things really were because reality was so unstable. Yeah, you were being actively gaslighted. I was being actively gas gaslighted, and so, so I I was like, no, I I have the minutes, I have the minutes <laughs> of life. Like I no, actually, this is how it happened. I know because I took it down at the time. Yeah. But I mean, that's just like you know, as an adult trying to look back and think and put in order, like why why was I such a diarist? Like why? How did I get to do this thing that I do now? So you did that too? I did, yes. And I suppose for the same reason. I didn't feel like anyone was seeing me or... Certainly no one was seeing me as a child, you know? When I started writing Kind Dr. Laura, I called you on the telephone. 
and I was freaking out a little bit mm-hmm. about whether or not I should do it if I was selling out my family or like I felt like I was doing oh, as wow. close. Yeah, what did I tell you? God, you you said was you said. He basically said, like, you're a writer, and so you have to write, and your family may not be happy with it, but you just have to, you just have to do it because you're a writer. That was the gist <laughs> of it. Do you stand by that? Well, I, I do think that's the gist, but I would add some sort of subparagraphs, which would amount to something like, you have to make sure you're being fair and objective and... Ideally, I know you couldn't do this. Ideally, you're you're letting your subjects see what you're writing. Really? Yeah, I totally showed my stuff to my family, but I know you couldn't do that. No. But do you feel like hostile or like passive aggressive or something by revealing things about your family? Like do you carry any kind of guilt or sense of responsibility about that? I I carry a lot of Guilt. I feel like I I would never I wouldn't go back and do anything differently. But um, writing about my family in my book Fun Home was such a crossing of the line of you know privacy and common respect for one's family, all of that stuff that I. I had to write a whole separate book about doing that. My next book, Are You My Mother, was basically about going through the process of um, doing this thing that I knew my mother was not going to be happy about. Yeah. And how I navigated that with her. Um, and I, I, I have felt really guilty... I've had a lot of guilt about writing that book, about writing Are You My Mother? Because why couldn't I just... Like, writing the first, writing the book about my father was... Why wasn't that enough? Why did I then have to go and write a book about the process of, of writing it? Yeah. Like, that seemed... It now seems a little excessive, but somehow it was, it was so... Um, just such a charged thing that I had more to say about it about the whole process. I do feel like I, um, it was, again, something I had to do. That, that going against your parents is a really most, I feel like it's an important aspect of becoming who you are, to, to get out from under your parents' shadow and whatever they tell you is acceptable or forbidden to to find your own reality. Is there something to the fact that you were raised with a lot of secrets as I was and so then you saying the truth as yes. loudly as you could in public was the way that you yes. went against your parents? Yes. But again, that feels ethically defensible. If people are lying to you, yeah. It's okay to set the record straight. Yeah. Um, but it, but nothing is that simple. And in my case, in setting the record straight, I um, opened up my mother's private life to public scrutiny. And she was really pretty game about it, but it wasn't 
easy for me to do or easy for her to endure. Will you talk about the the like when you told your mom you were working on the book about your dad? It was a terrifying moment. That to me was like like the moment that I became an adult and I was almost 40. <laughs> <laughs> I I was I allowed myself to work on the story about my dad for some time before I told my mother I was doing it. I knew I had to tell her. Yeah. But I also knew that I had to get a grip on the story before I I told her and so that I wouldn't be swayed by whatever her reaction was. Like if she told me she didn't want me to do it, that I would have become so engaged with it that I knew I wouldn't drop it. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I got latched onto the project. I steeled myself. I practiced what I was going to say to her. And like I did in a mirror or in the car? In or? the car. I was driving this long nine-hour car ride to go see her, and I was just like out loud carrying on this conversation. Do you remember what you said? You're like, Mom, I've decided. Yeah, it's right so here in my book. Look, it's oh, right here. I begin this whole book with me yeah, well, practicing I, the conversation alone in the car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like in the book you say it was kind of like when you gained the courage to tell her you were gay or that you had had your period for the yeah. first time. Yeah, there was just like anything real we just never talked about. So it felt yeah. similarly uh, fraught. Well, I remember, I mean, I remember even like, Wanting to tell my mom I wanted to pierce my ears or, like, wear a bra. Because I had been reading that in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, about these kind of milestones that you should talk to your mom about. And I was, like, practicing me, like, I think it's it's time for me to wear a bra. (laughs) She should have gotten you a bra and said to you, look, you have to start wearing this. I mean, it wasn't, I think that I was kind of, like, chopping at the bit to, like, have these moments that I was reading about. So I, like, you know, I wasn't, like, spilling out of anything when I... (laughs) Told her that. <laughs> How old were you? Do you remember? I don't remember. But I remember like having to like practice and like standing at her door of her room and being like, uh, I think I. Uh. But so you said this to your mom, and then what was her reaction? She she had a great reaction. I could tell she was startled and a bit horrified. Um. I think her, actually, her initial response might have been, why? <laughs> why would you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And I tried to explain to her that I felt like it was an important story. And by the end of the conversation, she was like, yeah, tell everything. Go for it. But, of course, that was before I had written it, before we had any idea it would actually get read by anyone. Um, that was the whole other thing, is that it, it turned out to be a successful book, which if it hadn't, none of this would have been much of an issue. So then what happened after it was a successful book? Well, there were some hard things. Like, most of my mom was amazing about it, but when our, when the local paper in her town wrote this rather sensationalistic piece about it, it was devastating her and she was really angry that I had done the, the interview that the this that had gotten turned into this sensationalistic piece what was the sensational part? oh it was just like here's the local family with a dark secret you know she uh, yeah. didn't mind so much if it was the New York Times but when it was her hometown paper that was crossing the line so it was very hard on her she 
She was very, very upset with me. Did she call you or something or email you? She called me. And I was just happened to be coming to visit her. And so I saw her and she was just like had gone into this intense, mercifully brief depression. Um, but you know what the weird thing is, Nicole, which I haven't haven't written about or even been able to think clearly about is that that all happened weirdly at the moment my mother was diagnosed with cancer. That fun home came out. Mm -hmm. I was on my book tour when she had a colonoscopy and they found cancer. Mm. So I feel weirdly like, oh my God, I gave my mother cancer. It's funny. It's like I can't get quite beyond the the apparent cause and effect. Like I, I told my family I was a lesbian and a few months later my father steps in front of a truck. I write a book about my father stepping in front of a truck and my mother gets cancer. I know I didn't really cause those things, but it's hard to shake it. It's a lot of magical thinking. Yes. That's a lot of weight to carry. It is. For you to be for you to have stepped out from under your parents' thumbs. Then you feel like you actually... Well, yes, it's just a sign of how big their thumbs were. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could be done with them, but I feel like I'm still, still, even now, even like pushing 60, still trying to like exercise my parents. I've done a lot of it, but it's certainly not done. Do you feel like you have more writing to do about (sighs) that? I can't. If I do, I have to do it privately. Do you trust yourself? in that way where you could write or draw something privately and then know that you're not later going to be like well I'll just I'll pitch it (laughs) no I'm too I'm so lazy I wouldn't bother even doing it oh really if I knew it was just private yeah I have a moment now where I don't trust myself anymore to that I'm not going to like I have you tried to do just private stuff sometimes it's very hard because I I've also since I've monetized my hobby I, in my coping mechanism, now sometimes I'll be having a big feeling and I'm like, oh, I wish there was a way for me to process this big, hard feeling. And then I remember that art exists. Like I have to like remember like, oh my God, like you could, I forget that because now I've equated it with like work and like chores, like a homework, like I have homework every night, which is my job. And so then when I write something that's actually private, I have to really... Make sure it's not aesthetically that appealing. Like, <laughs> write or do do something to it that is, you know, like I've like drawn sex before in a journal and I'm like, <gasps> like I'll find it later and be like, oh my God, you know, or like I'll write like to myself about some bad decision or something. And I'm, I don't, I don't feel like I won't use it as fodder later, but I know that I can jinx myself enough that it's not printable uh-huh. in some way. Uh-huh. I don't know. So if like if I ever wrote about my mom, I feel like I would. The other part of me that's like a, like a guy chomping a cigar would be like, oh, this is good, good material, good material. Write some more, you know, go to therapy, write some more. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Michelle Lemoyne, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, and Christy Harrod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton. Please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, 
leg like it's appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice, her speaking voice. your brother has a disability and you felt kind of an allegiance to your brothers to not tell their story yes Yes, i feel like to not invade their privacy yes it's fine to invade my parents privacy it's not fine to invade my brother's privacy because they had nothing to do with this predicament so then how did you make choices about how to portray their characters i i i wrote about them only in the most minimal way i could and obviously i had brothers so i wanted them to be there um I think often people who write fiction simplify it by getting rid of their siblings if they're writing autobiographically at all. <laughs> that just didn't seem right. I had siblings. I wanted them to be in there. And just to just to show a little bit of the kind of play that we would engage in, what our relationships were like, but to keep it minimal. As much as this book is like a working out of my guilt and anxiety about having written a book about my father... It's also an effort to express my love for my mother, which I couldn't really do in person. Like, I had to create this long, contorted, written and drawn document that sort of disguised it. But I think... I think she heard that. I think she got it. Yeah? Yeah. What makes you think she got it? Well, because her partner at the time, Bob, her boyfriend Bob said he read she would give it to him to read like to like prepare her if anything bad was in it mm-hmm. and so he at one point said no it's 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 not bad it's, it's kind of a love letter to you that's that nice was sweet. i like that <laughs> i think about writing a book about my mom but i couldn't do it till after she was dead because i don't you know similar to you i didn't want to tell her about calling Dr. Laura until it was written mm-hmm. so that she couldn't rattle my cage mm-hmm. and change the form of it. Um, and I think, and she was so sensitive about it. But it, I mean, I do feel like a traitor in some way. I feel like a little bit like I, like some people like, you're speaking your truth. You know, stand in your truth. Speak loudly. And then, but then somewhere I feel like I betrayed the family or I betrayed the thing and then I, was like gotcha. I was like was like you were a shitty mom. Well, guess what? Which I wasn't trying to do, but in some I feel like you could see it through that lens pretty well, easily. I mean, I think both those things are true for both of us. The the challenge is a book that was just gotcha is not going to be a good book. It's not going to be interesting or yeah. fulfilling or satisfying to any readers. So that's the hard work of writing about your family is to do it in a deeply thoughtful way you know something that I feel like I therapeutically have to like re-remember over and over again is the thing where it's like if someone does something bad you know somebody makes a bad choice their choice is to be mean to you or you know whatever you saying aloud that that happened isn't you being hurtful to them it's just you reflecting that something happened whereas I feel like the way I was trained as a child was like to try and lessen the consequences for them of the thing they just did. So, like, right. if my mom and my stepdad got in a terrible fight and they had to call the police or something, me telling anyone that was me being the bad person, not 
that they, you know, that I'm just saying something that's true that happened in front of me. And so I feel like that's something I've had to, like, reestablish over and over as an adult, is, like, kind of patting people or protecting people from the consequences of their actions is not the valiant thing to do. It's just a weird thing that one learns to have to do. Yeah. But so I feel like, you know, like saying in the book, like, here's what happened. My mom sees it as like a betrayal and me like having done something wrong. But it could, you know, easily just be like, well, I'm just expressing what happened to me in my actual life. And I'm sorry if it makes you look Because it shaped you. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're just randomly calling like the police on them. You're, you're You're describing the atmosphere that made you who you are. Yeah. And then that scene is being traitorous or something. So then when I try to think, well, what would not be traitorous? What would not be traitorous is to be like, you were the best mom. Thank you so much. <laughs> Nobody wants to read that book. Nobody wants to read that. I have an ex-girlfriend who's like, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just was too nice to you to be in any of your comics. <laughs> I shouldn't have treated you so well. I don't get to be in it. I was like... I was like, yeah, there's no so story. she she does wish that she were in your work. Yeah, she's That's like funny. She, like my Beja book. She really was giving it a thorough flip through to see where she was in there, and she wasn't in there. And she was like, oh, sorry, I guess I was just a little too nice to you. I shouldn't have shouldn't have done that. And I was like, well, yeah, I was like, That's not a story. Like saying like I met someone nice and then we had a nice time and then it didn't work out isn't a story. Nobody wants to read that. <laughs> If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. I'm writing about other stuff in my life, not so much about my family. I'm writing about this this memoir about exercise that I'm doing, which is just... much lighter and involves a lot just you know random people in my life who I've had different kinds of relationships with um but it's it's hard to write about positive relationships or even just innocuous relationships it just doesn't make any sense (laughs) I had an idea as I was writing the book that it was going to heal my family it was going to like bring us together and we were going to talk about my father and that absolutely did not happen (laughs) but Oddly, over the long term, I, it's clear to me that the book really did help, really did open things up to have the, this... You know, I used to think of my version as the true version. I understand now that it was just my version. I think of your version as the true version, too. <laughs> um, but it was really... Ha- the. Finally, seeing the play with my brothers felt like oh, like I finally got some of that feeling that I had been hoping for when I was working on the book, like this feeling of um, resolution or or something or uh, of grief. I remember crying with my youngest brother after seeing the play. We'd never done that before. So that was amazing. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it was like a downstream effect of the book, but it was still part of the telling of the story, I think. 
the more I saw it, because I saw it a few times and I got the soundtrack, the more it impacted me in a way where I was like, what is, what does it mean that I created, recreated my family story using little marks, <laughs> using little marks on the page? <laughs> and I just would listen to the soundtrack and just cry at this, like, this is a weird thing that I do, because it feels so normalized when you're doing it. Uh-huh. Like, recreating your family story. <laughs> you're like, well, of course. I'm thinking it in my brain, and then my arm is just doing and then I just, here's my family. And I have to decide, like, what size of nose to give people and what outfit they're wearing <laughs> and the wallpaper. But actually, the, the, the actual weird magic of being a cartoonist and you recreating these really intense experiences and giving someone the feeling of being in your family using just marks on a flat surface is kind of, it's a lot. How do you um, slough off that from when you're immersing yourself in that feel in those feelings of your past? How do you come back to the present? Like that day, or in general, like the day that I'm drawing. The day or? that you're drawing, like do you, do you, or do you remain mired in in a mood for a long period of time? Like a method actor, <laughs> like a method actor of my yeah. own life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it gets depressing. Sometimes, yeah. Like, with both of my books, I feel like there were moments where I was drawing, like, the worst moments of my life. Like, I was dating somebody wonderful while I was drawing the scenes of dating someone terrible and calling Dr. Laura. And I just remember it was like, like, I've said this a million times, but it was like putting on the Lord of the Rings ring. Like, when Frodo would put on this evil ring and it would be like, like all these, you know, the world turns like dark and screaming and he's just in this and no one else can see it. And so it felt like that as I was having to go through the feelings to get the thing on the page. And then coming out of it, I think I would have what my friends Michelle and Allie have deemed as spooky writer's face afterwards, which is kind of like when you stagger out of your studio <laughs> and you're like a little bit weird and feral and not completely of this world for yeah. a while. Yeah, And so then you can't, I, so I, I think it would just take a little time. I would just need a little buffer, you know, so I would do that when I was doing fetch Part of the time I was in at a residency in Virginia, and it was very lonely, and I was drawing my dog dying of cancer, and it was very sad, and I didn't have, like, a thing at the end of the day, you know, besides the dog, to be like, to be like, it's okay now. Um, so then Ponyo and I started sometimes dancing at the end of the day, because I would be all tensed up, hunched over my table like when mm -hmm. I got back to Portland and my studio was a little bigger I would be tensed up drawing all day and then I would finish and I would feel like I had all this physical energy or like chi or whatever that I needed to get out so we would turn on terrible pop music like Katy Perry or something and I would dance with the dog and that would kind of help me reacclimate to humanity uh -huh. or the world but I don't I mean it's hard it's just it's it's a little time it's like it was learning to be gentle with myself and be like, okay, I am going to have spooky writer's face for an hour after this, or I am going to like be in a weird zone that I can't quite describe to the people around me when they're like, you know, <laughs> what's going on? So I would do that. Hmm. I don't know. What do you do? You know, I never really thought about it. Um, I think, I do think it just, it takes, it has taken a toll on my intimate relationships that living in that other space for protracted periods of time. It wasn't good for my relationship. No, no. I don't think it destroyed it, but it wasn't like 
nourishing. It wasn't like, oh, how wonderful. <laughs> You've just been thinking about the worst moments of your life all day and like fully embodying them. But it, to me, it feels like slow motion. It feels a little bit like therapy. And I know we've talked about this before. I don't know if you felt like that. But for me, it felt like I was working through, like when people are like, you can't go around your grief. You have to go through it. It felt like I was like in slow motion going through yeah, certain yeah. things. I just heard someone say something similar to that. Like grief is like a, <clears throat> you think it's a pond that you can skirt, but as you get closer to it, you're like in the the weeds and then it's a marsh and then it's a bog and it's sucking you in and then you realize it's a river and there's no way, you have to go, you have to cross it. You yeah. can't go around it. So then what does that do to your interpersonal relationships? Well, it takes your energy away from them. Uh, which is not always a good thing, which is rarely a good thing, in fact. No one's ever like, thank you. (laughs) Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. feel like social media is catching up to where we have been as memoirist documenters and it's like document this thing well I think that's the idea but when it's so instantaneous there's no time for any thought or contemplation and it's just all pretty um I don't know it's pretty thin <laughs> yeah just just recording reality isn't isn't the object yeah so have some thought about it yeah don't you think otherwise we'd all, all just have video cameras recording everything and playing them back and then, like, it wouldn't well, even be time to watch it because you'd have to be shooting more footage well i feel like you'd be playing it back at times when at other worlds you would like be having an actual moment with a human being like you would act like at the end of the day when like you would be like discussing the day or like having some kind of interaction with a human being. Instead, you're like, I'm going to rewatch what happened today. <laughs> oh, remember that was so great. But really, like you weren't really right. I don't know.